0: Typhoon Tanisan Mr and Mrs Kawano were stuck for a babysitter. I don't see as we have any other choice, said Mr Kawano, speaking from his hotel room in Taipei. Your sister's in Okinawa, and Mrs Takahashi has her own family to think of. I know, said his wife from the lobby of Osaka Hospital, but I just don't like the hold she has over the girls. They're always talking about her. Mrs Tanny says this and Mrs Tanny says that. She's an unhealthy influence. Besides, I have a sneaking suspicion that she had more than a little to do with that fire at the zoo. When they got back, they absolutely reeked of barbecue. But who else is there? asked her husband, who seemed a little more willing to give their neighbour the benefit of the doubt. She's the only one available, and she does live just across the street. In her heart of hearts... Mrs. Kawano knew that he was right. Nonetheless, it was with some trepidation that she scrolled down her list of contacts until she came to Tanisan's number. This blessed typhoon had caught everyone on the hop. According to the forecast, Honshu was supposed to have been spared, but the weather system had since changed course and was now heading across the island from the west. For the Kawanos, this presented a particular problem of child care. Mr Kay, as you may have gathered, was away on business while his wife had caught the early morning bullet train to be with her mother, who'd been taken into hospital in Osaka. When the typhoon struck the second city, the entire transportation system had ground to a halt, so she was stranded there, which meant that there would be no one at home to take care of the twins when they returned from school. She took a couple of deep breaths and dialed Tanisan's number, and as she did so, she kept telling herself that her anxieties were unfounded. Everything would be fine. Hello, she said, when she finally heard the person at the other end pick up. Mrs. Tanny, this is Mrs. Kawano from across the street. Oh hello, said Tannisan. How do you get Yogurt off the ceiling? Excuse me, said Mrs. K, suddenly finding herself in very unexpected territory. I'm looking at it right now, said Tannisan, and it's really starting to get on my nerves. Oh, uh, well, I don't know, said Mrs. Coano. Can't you use a mop or something? I've already tried that, said Tannisan, but it just keeps dodging about. I think I'll have to talk it down, you know, persuade it. Persuade it, echoed Mrs. K. Yes, said Tannisan, it's my own fault. I should have known there'd be trouble when it refused to go into the marinade. I left it out on the shelf too long and the cultures became sentient. Having somehow ended up in this bizarre conversational backwater, Mrs. Kawano saw an opportunity to change the topic and took it. "'Yes, uh, well, good luck with that,' she said. "'In the meantime, I was wondering if there was any chance you could take care of the twins. "'My husband and I are out of town at the moment and won't be able to get back until after the typhoon.' "'I know it's an imposition, but we are in a bit of a fix. "'It would mean staying with them overnight, I'm afraid.' "'I see,' said Tanisan, "'as she poked the yogurty splodge with the end of her broom. "'Well, I can understand why you came to me.' "'Quite,' said Mrs. Kawano, biting her lip. "'You need a person that you can really trust "'when it comes to the welfare of your children,' said Tanisan. "'Uh-huh,' said Mrs. K.' You have to be absolutely certain that you're leaving them in safe hands. Yep, said Mrs. Kawano. I do have one question, though, said Tannisan. Go ahead, said Mrs. Kawano, albeit with some foreboding. Is it all right for them to have alcohol? asked Tannisan. She was thinking of giving the girls the chicken that she'd prepared for dinner, the marinade for which contained a dash of cooking alcohol. On hearing this, however, all of Missus K's anxieties came flooding back. "Er, uh, no," she said, struggling to stay calm. "It's not usual to give strong liquor to seven-year-old girls. It's not good for them. Not even the teeniest bit," asked Tanisan. "No," said Missus Kawano. "Not even the teeniest bit." "All right, I'll take your word for it," said Tanisan, although she thought it was a tad excessive. "Oh, and while we're on the subject." "'How many times will they have to be fed?' "'Er, twice, I should think,' said Mrs. Kawano, "'thinking that she wouldn't be able to get back until morning.' "'Right,' said Tanisan, "'But not at the same time, obviously.' "'Yes,' said Mrs. K. "'At the same time. Why not at the same time?' "'At the same time? Of course at the same time. "'What, dinner and breakfast?' Uh, "'No, no,' said Mrs. Kawano, almost in tears.' The meals are served separately, but the girls eat them at the same time. Are you sure you're okay with this? Of course, said Tanisan. They'll be perfectly safe with me, she said, and immediately hung up. Oh God, said Mrs. K, as she put the phone down. As for Tanisan, she went straight over to the window and looked out at the ginkgo tree. The wind was picking up soon it would become quite blusterous. However, her lifelong experience of being on the decidedly small side had taught her how to turn this particular force of nature to her advantage. She had studied the leaves. The main thing was to be wearing her safety bloomers, which would automatically deploy should she run into trouble. She checked that she was, and she was. So then she put the chicken thighs into a container, minus the marinade, of course, and placed it in a carrier bag. Next came her raincoat and umbrella. Then just as she was about to leave the house, she had an idea, so she went over to the washing basket and took out two extra pairs of freshly laundered safety knickers. After all, they had to learn some time. As soon as she stepped out of the door, a great gust of wind blew her right back in again. Not to be beaten, Tannisan put her head down and charged the adverse southwesterly. At the same time, she opened her brolly angling it for maximum lift, and all at once began to rise up off the ground. As she glided onwards and upwards towards the empty street, she got just enough height to push off from the front gate and launch herself into the air. Across the road, the Kawano sisters were watching from their bedroom window. "'Look,' said Mai to May, "'it's Mary Poppins!' Unfortunately, the illusion was shattered when Tanisan got caught on a particularly strong updraft which blew her straight up into the sky and several streets away. It then took her some time to work her way back to the Kiwano's front door where the sisters were waiting for her. Your parents can't be with you tonight, so I shall be the responsible adult, came her alarming assertion as she touched down on the doorstep. Fabulous bloomers fluttering to a halt. Put these on spit-spot, she said, handing each sister an enormous pair of knickers. We're going to buy some yoghurt to make a marinade. The logical connection between these last two utterances was not immediately apparent. Nonetheless, the girls did as they were told, and soon the three of them were heading down the street in a daisy chain, May holding on to the tail of Tannisan's coat, while Mai clung on to her sister's. Because of the rain, they had their brollies up, so there was barely a moment when one or another wasn't being lifted off her feet by the wind. Ever since the dawn of time, announced Tanisan, extemporising on this phenomenon, Manners looked to the skies and dreamt of being up there, dilly-dallying among the cumulonimbus. Yet only now, with the retasking of this simple household item, here she brandished her brolly, has the monopoly of the airlines been broken bringing that long-cherished dream well within the reach of the severely cash-strapped known terrorists and smokers. Unfortunately, before she could complete this speech, another updraft sent all three of them spiralling up into the sky like dandelion seeds. I actually meant that to happen, said Tannisan, as they now found themselves being carried along some twenty metres or so above the ground. I thought it would give you a chance to test your umbrella skills and enjoy this magnificent view of the uh, of the Bick Camera retail complex Mrs Tanny Mrs Tanny called out my as she was tossed hither and thither by the storm which otherwise was concerned with blowing branches off trees and tiles off buildings what's going on over there thick black smoke was pouring from the upper story of a nearby residential tower block the three daring parasol pilots, through no design of their own, suddenly found themselves on the scene, caught up on a current of air that had them circling the towering inferno. A handful of residents had scrambled out onto the roof to avoid the fire. Tanizan reached into the carrier bag that was hanging from the handle of her umbrella and took out her smartphone. But instead of calling the emergency services, as she'd fully intended to, she hesitated, and then showed the screen to her two young charges as they rounded the corner by the elevator housing. A conundrum, she remarked to her prodigies. As you can see, I have only half a bar left on my phone, which is just enough power to make a single call to the relevant authorities. The question is, should I or shouldn't I? It would be the compassionate choice, said May, as she floated past, bloomers flapping. "'I concur,' opined her equally brilliant sister, passing by Tanisan on the other side. "'Ah, but is it, though?' disputed their mentor. "'Let's just think about that for a moment. "'In all probability,' argued Tanisan, "'at least one of them down there has a phone and has already alerted the emergency services.' So does it not behove me to conserve these last few milliamperes of power in case we find ourselves in a similarly precarious predicament? After all, I am the one to whom your mother has entrusted your joint welfare. So what you're saying, reasoned May, as they continued to circle the burning building, is that we're not obliged to do anything. We can just stand by and observe the situation as it unfolds, with a clear conscience. Added May even if they all burn. Well, that would certainly be the wisest course, concluded Tannisan, unless we could do so without inconveniencing ourselves. As if in answer to these remarks, the water tower that stood on stilts at one end of the roof gave a loud groan as the howling wind continued to batter it remorselessly. Then all of a sudden, one of the struts gave way. As the entire structure listed dangerously to one side... Tanisan and the twins had the same idea, so as they came round on their fifth pass, they picked up speed and deliberately targeted the side of the tank feet first, providing just enough force to tip it over. As a result, a torrent of water went cascading across the roof, albeit in the wrong direction. Instead of putting out the fire, as it was supposed to, it washed the four unfortunate residents over the side of the building. Not entirely, I hasten to add. One of them managed to grab hold of the safety rail before he went over. So then he tried to help the other three, who were left dangling over the abyss. Uh, yes, said Tannisan as she surveyed the scene. Uh, on reflection, I think we may have to use up a few of those milliamp after all. In the meantime, however, her phone had finally expired. Oh, she said, peering at the blank screen. So then she quietly slipped the defunct item back into her bag and began looking about for some good reason to change the subject. Um, on second thoughts, she went on in a roundabout sort of way, I think it might be wise to shed some of this altitude and, and complete the task that we actually set out to do. Isn't that a family mark down there? They sell yoghurt, don't they? Let's head for that. Unfortunately, the typhoon had other plans for them, and just as before, they suddenly found themselves being scooped up by a powerful wind and sent hurtling across the city. ''I change my mind,'' said Tanisan. ''This is much better.'' They were now entering a new phase of their, well, I was going to say adventure, but disastrously misjudged and decidedly roundabout trip to the corner shop would seem more appropriate. The typhoon was getting stronger by the minute, pulling them inwards and eastwards and out to sea, closer and closer to the eye of the storm. Clinging on to the handles of their umbrellas, the three intrepid aviators passed through cloud banks and thunderstorms, where visibility was next to none. Then all at once, they appeared to cross over into some strange magical realm, for there were shadows in the air around them. A toilet seat went whistling past, ...closely followed by the occupant of the outhouse... ...and the next instant they found themselves caught up in a spiralling trail of debris... ...that went corkscrewing up into the clouds. As a result, the physical danger quotient shot up by another 150%... ...as it was more or less inevitable that they would eventually collide with something... ...and collide they did... ...with a large grey object, heavy and thick. "'I say, steady on!' came a voice... "'You're taking a bit of a liberty, aren't you?' "'All at once, Tanisan and the twins found that they were sat astride "'an enormous sea cow of the dugong variety, "'although, as the animal itself was at pains to point out, "'it was one of the Okinawa dugongs, "'as opposed to the Abu Dhabi or Morton Bay dugongs. "'With all due respect,' it remarked in response to their first question, I don't think it really matters what I'm doing here, whereas how I ever came to be here in the first place is a very interesting question indeed. Perhaps you ought to ask that. So they did. Ah, well now, said the pedantic herbivore, warming to his subject, I'm very glad you asked me that question. To answer it, I'd have to take you back to the dim and distant past, when I was a mere calf suckling at my mother's... Well, it doesn't matter which part of my mother I was suckling at. The point is, I was very young. Then one day, one of these blessed tropical cyclones came along and whisked me off into the wild blue yonder, which is a bit of a no-no if all you're equipped with are flukes and flippers. Hold on a second, said Tannisan, shuffling up the animals back on her bottom so that she could look him straight in the eye from above. Do you mean to tell me that you've been stuck up here ever since, floundering about among the clouds and detritus? ''Well, no, not all at the time,'' said the scornful Cyrenian. ''That would be ridiculous. ''Only on nine separate occasions.'' ''Oh, well, yes, of course,'' said Tanisan. ''Sorry I mentioned it.'' ''My point is,'' said the dugong, ''that it's been a very traumatic experience, irrespective of the whys and wherefores. ''I mean, there I was.'' not unreasonably anticipating a placid life amidst the swaying seagrasses, when what I actually got was this nonsense interspersed with lengthy periods of foreign travel. Oh, said Mai, who had a keen interest in international affairs and would one day make them considerably worse. And where have these travels taken you? From one end of Typhoon Alley to the other, young lady, and all points in between.' Including, I might add, the dwelling place of the black Wallaroo. Well, what's wrong with that? shrugged Tanisan. It sounds to me as though you've had a much more interesting time of it than your average pudding faced sea grazer. You'd think so, wouldn't you? said the unhappy creature. The only thing is, is that I am, as you say, a sea grazer. Yet every time one of these blasted weather systems picks me up and plonks me down again, it's in a place that's a million miles from the ocean, be it desert, mountain, forest, suburb or city centre. Anywhere other than the 70% of the planet's surface that is actually covered by water. Having said that, I once ended up in a suburban swimming pool and had to spend the next few days laying low until another typhoon came along, at which point I was able to try my luck again. When it comes down to it, he said, I'm like one of those little casino balls, which would be fine, were it not for the fact that every time I take a spin on the wheel, I end up landing on black. Why do you keep doing it, then? asked May, not unreasonably. Because I'm always hoping for a different outcome, said the dugong, but there never is. That being the case, there seems to be nothing else for it but to resign myself to the absurd. Nonsense, said Tanisan, who was having none of this maudlin self-pity. Do you think I would have gone to all the trouble of talking my way out of heaven or refusing to buy bottled water if I'd resigned myself to the absurd? Of course not, and I'm certainly not about to start doing so now. The mother of these girls has entrusted me with their welfare.' And so far I have managed to discharge that responsibility, apart from that one incident. So stop feeling sorry for yourself and help us find a way out of this mess. Giddy up, giddy up. Tanisan then proceeded to dig in her heels and prod the poor creature with the end of her brolly. Ow, 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 went the dugong as he flapped about, quite unable to defend himself against her relentless poking. Yet as it turned out, he did have some limited rudder control. What this meant, though, was that while he was able to break free from the debris field, it was only to be pulled into the eye wall of the typhoon, where the storms were at their most ferocious. Round and round and round they went, until at last they were spat out into the ocean, where they landed with such a splash it would have given considerable satisfaction to a dive-bombing hippopotamus that was making a nuisance of himself at the local watering hole. "'Water! Water!' went the dugong as he realised that he was back in his preferred medium and began thrashing about like a three-day-old calf. "'Can you believe it? I'm actually swimming about in a bonafide ocean with sea urchins and spume and everything!' "'All right, all right, keep your flippers on,' said Tanisan, as she and the twins held on for grim death like Texas rodeo riders. "'I need to get these children to a place of safety. What's that over there?' what she was pointing to was a small black object bobbing about on the horizon so once their excitable friend had finally managed to calm down they began making their way towards it gliding through the glassy waters the towering wall of cloud that encircled this sea haven of tranquility told them that they had now entered the eye of the typhoon soon it became clear that the bobbing object was a boat a cargo vessel by the look of it with two masts "'a rickety wooden wheelhouse and a weathered hull. "'Ahoy there, me mates, said Tannisan, "'in what she took to be the correct nautical parlance "'as they came up alongside. "'Her greeting met with complete silence. "'Nonetheless she clambered over the gunnels, "'closely followed by the twins. "'Well, I'll be off then,' said the dugong, "'calling up to them from the waterline. "'Now that you're completely safe, "'there's no need to worry about me any more.' We won't," said Tannisan, who was only half listening, being largely concerned with the apparent lack of crew aboard the Ryugu Maru. "Oh well, that's charming," complained the disgruntled sea cow, which then swam off in a huff. Tannisan and the girls stood in front of the deserted wheelhouse and surveyed the deck. The air around them was heavy and still; not a sound could be heard. "I'm scared," said May. Edging closer to their unreliable guardian, Where is everyone? And what exactly is that? asked Mai, pointing to a large red stain at their feet. That, said Tanisan, oh, that's just soy sauce. Someone spilt it on the deck. Sailors are very messy eaters, you know. It's because of the waves. But it's bright red, said May, as she continued to gaze down at the suspicious splodge. It's Shinsei sauce, said Tanisan. The Bee tomatoes give it that crimson hue, although I think you will find that the tomato is not a particularly fruitful topic of conversation in situations of this sort. As you journey through life, this becomes increasingly apparent. So where is the crew? asked May, returning to her previous point. Who knows? shrugged Tanisan. Although it doesn't surprise me that they're not here. That's normal. Sailors are a notoriously skittish and superstitious lot. They'll believe any nonsense. Did you know, for example, that your average salty sea dog refuses to set sail on the second Sunday in September? And if an unmarried woman should step aboard his boat bearing onions, all hell breaks loose. So there's no need to concern yourself unnecessarily on that score. My instincts tell me that we're perfectly safe here. So what should we do now? asked Mai, who was comforted by these words. Well, the first thing, said Tanisan, is to split up and find out what's what aboard this boat. You take the hold, she told May, you take the decks, she said to Mai, and I'll take the bridge. We'll meet back here in fifteen minutes. Tanisan had chosen the bridge for herself, because she knew that it was close to the galley and wanted to have first pick of any food that was on offer. What she found there, however, was like a scene from the Marie Celeste. Half-eaten dishes set out on the table drinks undrunk, seats still warm from where bottoms had been sitting on them. Yet at no point did it cross her mind that there was anything remotely sinister about this. She just didn't like to see good food go to waste. She brined up a little when she peered into the refrigerator because there were some tasty-looking pastries in there. Also, a carton of eggs and a tub of yoghurt, which hadn't been opened yet. "'Oh, good,' she said, slipping the latter into her bag." Hasn't been a wasted journey after all. Munching contentedly on an iced slice, she then made her way up the steps into the wheelhouse, failing to notice that the radio, the radar and the compass had been completely destroyed. Neither did she see the enormous pair of boots parked at the helm, which only a short time before had been forcibly vacated. The boots, I mean. And she certainly didn't pay the slightest bit of attention to the enormous sucker marks plastered all across the windows and the door. No, oblivious to these signs of violence and misadventure, Tanisan wandered into the captain's cabin and sat down in his chair to finish off her Danish. The log lay open on the desk in front of her, so she picked it up and read it out loud to herself. Day three, she began the mysterious illness that has so far claimed five members of my crew has now spread to... At that moment, one of the twins called to her from outside. Mrs Tanny! Mrs Tanny! Come quickly! Tanny San sighed heavily and stepped out onto the companionway, where she saw May standing by an open hatch on the forward deck. Come down! she called out. I think you'll want to see this. Grumbling quietly to herself, Tanesan headed down the steps to join the child at the entrance to the hold. There was a rusty metal ladder leading down into the darkness. Something nasty was sloshing about down there. So? she said with a shrug. May shone a torch into the gloom. There were several meters of dirty water just beneath their feet. I think we're sinking, she said. "'No, that's normal,' said tanny "'All boats have that. "'I saw it in a film.' "'This film,' May ventured to ask, "'it wasn't called Titanic by any chance, was it?' "'Actually,' said tanny thinking back, "'now you come to mention it, I think it was. "'Why?' "'Well,' said May, "'just like in Titanic, "'the water level has risen quite a lot "'since I've been watching it. "'And there's something else you ought to know. "'Look there.' "'The beam of her torch,' now illuminated a long, thin shape that was wriggling about beneath the surface. As she shone it around, several more of these writhing forms could be discerned. Deadly poisonous sea snakes, said May. Just a minute, how do you know they're poisonous? asked Tanisan. Because it says so on the box. In one of the darker recesses of the hold, a half-submerged fish tank was floating about in the corner, banging up against the inside of the hole. And on the side of it, it actually said, deadly poisonous sea snakes. Well, that's just stupid, said Tannisan. What are they doing here? It doesn't make any sense. And that's not the worst of it, added May, shining her torch in the opposite direction. Take a look over there. She was now directing Tannisan's attention to a stack of containers that was sitting on a shelf just above the waterline. The various hazmat symbols plastered across the sides clearly indicated flammable, reactive and fire-explosion hazards. "'It's potassium,' explained May. "'Ah, yes,' said Tanisan. "'Now, just remind me, that... "'reacts violently when it comes into contact with moisture,' said May, finishing off the sentence. "'Oh, well, that's just brilliant,' said a scornful Tanisan, throwing up her arms." Potassium and sea snakes. Who were the geniuses that thought putting those two together was a good idea? I mean, what possible situation in life calls for potassium and sea snakes? None. Mrs Tanny, Mrs Tanny, came a second voice. What is it now? asked Tannisan, spinning round. May's sister Mai was stood on the starboard side of the vessel, gazing out across the ocean, so they joined her there. Look, she said, pointing to the horizon it appeared that two types of things were closing in on them from opposite directions. To the north, a group of ominous-looking dorsal fins were ploughing through the sea towards them, while to the south, a large number of gigantic white blobs were drifting slowly, but inevitably their way. "'Oh, well, yes, of course,' observed Tanisan bitterly. "'Sharks and jellyfish. All we need now is a giant squid.' As if on cue, an enormous pink tentacle rose up out of the water and snapped the mainmast like a twig. A second swipe of this mighty limb took out the antenna and smashed through the roof of the wheelhouse. Wooden splinters and other bits of debris went spinning off only to get caught up in the machinery. Before long, thick black smoke was billowing out to a grate on the deck as the engine compartment burst into flames, setting fire to the very planks they stood on. Oh, this is just ridiculous, complained Tanisan, as the entire superstructure fell in on itself. No, this is too much. I'm not doing this. At least give us a chance. This chance she spoke of suddenly materialised in the form of their new friend, the dugong, who'd heard the commotion and, against his better judgement, come back to find out what was going on. He was now hanging over the side, beckoning them over with a flipper. Quick, he shouted. Hurry up, over here. Tanisan and the twins raced across the burning deck and jumped on his back as the ship fell apart around them. No sooner had they put some distance between them and it than there was a tremendous explosion which lit up the sky potassium lilac and vaporised some rather unpleasant sea snakes. Minutes later, the Ryugu Maru, the most dangerous place to be on the face of the earth, was lying in pieces at the bottom of the ocean. "'So what are you going to do now?' asked the sea-cow, as they drifted along in the wake of the sunken vessel. "'I suppose you'll just have to wait until this typhoon moves on. "'Once that happens, I should be able to get you as far as the shipping lanes. "'Then you'll have to pick up a ferry to get to the mainland. "'It might take a while, mind you, but it's your only option as far as I can see.' After all, he laughed, the only other way is to jump straight back into the typhoon. But you'd have to be as mad as a fishcake to do that. It'd be like trying to jump onto a fast-moving carousel from a complete standstill. It was only then that he noticed that he wasn't getting any kind of feedback from his passengers, who'd fallen silent. Hello, he says, as he tried to look back over his own shoulder. What's going on? Why has it gone all quiet back there? Thirty seconds later, he found himself speeding through the briny waters, approaching the wall of the typhoon at maximum speed. ''Ow! Ow! Ow!'' he went, as Tanisan rode him like a jockey, digging in her heels and poking him repeatedly with the tip of her umbrella. ''You don't have to keep doing that!'' he complained. ''I get the message! Just hurry up and jump!'' As they came up alongside the cloud bank, Tannisan got unsteadily to her feet and with the twins hanging on to the back of her raincoat fell headlong into the storm in a most ungainly fashion. All at once they were snatched up and sent hurtling round the weather system like three socks on a spin cycle. But then Tannisan gave the signal and they angled their umbrellas into the airflow which slammed them round and sent them whizzing off in a contrary-wise direction. The jolt forced them apart and for a time they were tossed hither and thither amid the stormy substances. But then after a while, the winds began to ease and the clouds to clear. Very conveniently, and for reasons that are far too technical to go into here, they then found themselves gliding down over the familiar rooftops of Ikebukuro, which was when Mai spotted trouble down below. "'Look!' she said, calling out to the other two. "'There's a car, San!' Indeed, Mrs. Kawano had managed to catch an early train and arrived home sooner than expected. There she was, making her way along the road from the metro station, just a short distance from the turning that led to her and Tanisan’s house. With no time to lose, Tanisan and the twins swooped in on their brollies and touched down quietly behind her, their unmentionables fluttering to a halt just as Mrs. Kawano was about to slip her key into the front door lock. She spun round to see them standing there like three scarecrows. And what a sight they made, their clothes all torn and wet, their faces streaked with dirt and brine, and their various hairs sticking out in all directions. Oh, my God, said Mrs K, looking from one bedraggled daughter to the other. What on earth happened? Nothing, said Tannisan, producing the blue and white tub that she'd found aboard the Ryugu We just popped out to get some yogurt.